Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Graham Class, producer of the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. You may remember me from the Dad Jokes Explained episodes. Anyway, you may be wondering why this episode has popped up on your feed. I'm hosting a new podcast called Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, which in its debut season will be exploring the expanding role of AI in our society. I think you'll find it interesting. Just in case you don't, I'll leave you with this dad joke about AI. It seems like everyone's jumping on the AI bandwagon, although some companies are finding it more difficult than others. IKEA had to cancel their new artificial intelligence program. In less than a week, the system had become shelf-aware. In a world where technology continues to advance at breakneck speeds, education is evolving to meet the needs of the future. Years ago, if you were told that the average person would have a STEM job, that is, a career in science, technology, engineering or math, a natural assumption would be that the world had progressed to most people having advanced degrees. On the contrary, it is the technology that progresses and with it, our ability to keep up with the times. When I was growing up, our classroom only had one computer for all of us to share. Now, my children have their own individual iPads and laptops to research, create, and learn. It's amazing how far we have come with using technology to educate our young. With the early adoption of technology comes the added responsibility of preparing them for how to use technology for their future occupations. For many students, those jobs will begin sooner than graduating from college. Whether it is learning to manage a small team of AI-powered self-service machines at the local grocery store, or learning coding skills to oversee a large autonomous robotic warehouse, education is shaping a brighter future, one student at a time. Hey there, I'm Graham Class, and this is Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. The show is dedicated to highlighting the way technology is revolutionising the way we live, work and move. In every episode, we'll connect with innovators in areas like artificial intelligence to better understand the human-centred technology they've developed. We tend to see an education in STEM, that is science, technology, engineering and maths, as something that's highly academic, involving several years in higher education. Most of the guests on the series have graduated from some of the top universities around the world or even developing AI tools before they entered college. While it is true that AI and technology are being innovated by some of the greatest minds in the world, those minds aren't always acquiring their skills the same way. Because it's not always about the degrees that you have, but your passion for knowledge and your ability to learn. One of the recurring themes for me in recording this series is how AI tools have made things more accessible for people around the world. However, it is important for education around AI and machine learning to be accessible as well. In this episode, I'll explore how learning AI is becoming more accessible with the help of Intel's AI for Workforce program. Before we get into it, let me introduce our guest. 
Joining me now is the lead faculty of Intel's AI for Workforce program at Chandler Gilbert Community College, Habib Matar. Habib was considered a child prodigy in STEM, beginning his collegiate career at the Chandler Gilbert Community College before graduating from Arizona State University at age 16. Following up his bachelor's with a master's in computer science, Habib went on to become a production lead at Intel, where he oversaw the analysis of statistics and led a team of manufacturing engineers. Ultimately, it was his love for AI and STEM that inspired him to transition into education. He wants to be the catalyst in making AI tools a part of the education system permanently and ensuring that a new generation of kids are fully immersed in STEM education. Welcome, Habib. It's good to be here. Wow, I couldn't have written that. That's one of the best introductions <laughs> I've heard ever. So thank you so much. It wasn't from ChatGPT either. I was about to say that, but <laughs> I get enough of those jokes already being an AI professor, right? That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I have a son who's 12 and he's just started high school. Um, you started college at age 12 and I can't imagine him heading off to university. So your early achievements are really remarkable. What did that experience teach you about learning STEM tools at an early age and how has it shaped your approach to teaching? So a small correction there. I was one year older. I was 13 when I started. Okay. And I was well, that's just... just, I know, not, <laughs> not, not a big deal in terms of age. So I was going into eighth grade. And at the time, I always knew that I was going to do some kind of engineering because my dad is an electrical engineer. And I wanted to see if it was possible to accelerate that process. I had no idea what the college space would have been like and how I would have came out on the other side of it. But I knew that my dad worked there uh, at Chandler Gilbert Community College, as well as my mom does as well. She's an English faculty and so I knew I'd be in a safe place going to the community college and I'd be around family when I'm not in classes. So I just ventured out into that big world. I didn't really even realize that everyone around me was, you know, five or six years older. I was so focused on reaching that goal of becoming an engineer like my dad. And uh, it was actually quite interesting that you said that your father was, was an electrical engineer. My dad was an electronic engineer. And I remember spending quite a bit of time in his workshops at a young age. Perhaps tell me a little bit more, I mean, of his influence on yourself growing up. Well, it's an influence of his and as well as the culture. My name's Habib, which is Lebanese. It's actually my grandpa's name. And part of the Lebanese culture is, is that you become either a doctor, a lawyer, <laughs> or an engineer, right? right? And so I had to choose one of those, and I wasn't too good with blood. And so <laughs> engineer definitely was that. On top of that, my dad would give me little incentives growing up. So I was super into video games. And he would say, okay, I'll give you $1 for every math sheet that you do. So I would do these large multiplication tables just so I can get like $1 and save up for that game I wanted. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I mean, I remember my dad giving me um, sort of logic puzzles and, and numerical puzzles as well growing up. He didn't give me any money though. That's <laughs> crying shame. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm quite interested in the, the whole accelerated program that you went through. What sort of challenges are there for students to get access to that sort of program? 
We had found that if I went through homeschooling and tested out of homeschooling, then that could get me admitted into the community college. Once I started that process, all I did was a placement test, which is very standard across all community college goers to do this placement test. I tested into like the 100, so not even the 100 classes, because again, I'm 13. (laughs) But within a year, I was able to begin my program similarly to someone who had just got out of high school. From there, my memory of the time was very normal. Like the students around me were all pretty mature. I was able to talk to the other nerds and play video games with them. And so I had found myself in a pretty fun community that was quite nice. And actually, I have people that I've talked to in my life that have kids and they've had their own kids go through that route as well. Despite spending most of his childhood becoming a scholar in STEM, his passions lie in teaching and helping others. This education is valuable to have even when you're not working in a STEM field in such a role as an engineer. Just having that sort of background can help others better understand the technologies we engage with regularly. If you've ever had to help a grandparent use a phone or printer, you know the exact challenges of helping others become tech savvy. In terms of the role now that you have at the college, maybe you could give a little bit of a summary. What are the courses? What are the programs that you're teaching there? Yeah, so when I transitioned from working at Intel into Chandler Gilbert, Intel approached us saying, we have a high school program that we're using in, I believe, Singapore for teaching AI. Is there any way we could take this high school program and make it into like a two-year vocational program? And so my background was in computer science and AI, and I had already been working at Intel, and I had family at Chandler Gilbert, right? So it's like this perfect marriage between the three. And so the program I teach at Chandler Gilbert is in essence that. It's a two-year vocational program for someone to learn about artificial intelligence. Now, we started this in 2019. This was before ChatGPT and the boom of popularity of AI. So what my focus has been since 2019 is how can I give my students marketable skills while still keeping it accessible, because typically AI is a graduate field right now, you have to have a master's or a PhD to learn about the topic. How can I keep this field accessible to learn as well as marketable with with the skills that they do learn throughout the two-year program? And so we have six different classes that we teach following that goal. Intro to AI is one of them. Intro to machine learning. Intro to natural language processing. So this is, you know, how does Siri know what when you say, hey, Siri, or how can ChatGPT seem to understand the text that you write? Then we have computer vision, where it's how do cars driving on the road see other cars and pedestrians and know when to stop? The last two classes are intro to business solutions. We actually have an employee from Intel teaching that class giving students important aspects of what work looks like in AI, like benchmarking and copyright issues that come with data. And then we have a capstone class where the students get a whole semester to explore an AI project. Wow, that's all in two years. Two years, yes. Wow, that's impressive. 
And in terms of getting into that sort of program, what are the some of the prerequisites that students have to have before joining in? So we're a community college and we want to keep this as accessible as possible. So our first class, Intro to AI, also named AIM 100. AIM stands for <laughs> AI and Machine Learning. And it, it was a funny, you know, acronym to put there. <laughs> but it's no prerequisites to join our first course. Now, our next class, AIM 110, which is Intro to Machine Learning, has a prerequisite of statistics as well as intro to Python. So you'll need to know a little bit of Python and statistics. Just for everyone's benefit, Python is a popular computing language, which actually has a lot of free resources for anyone to look up and be able to code their own AI and machine learning programs. So Habib, do you know if this program is trying to be replicated in other community colleges? That's actually at the heart of AI for Workforce. So I'm the lead faculty at Chandler Gilbert, but I played a, a role in helping advise AI for Workforce, and now they're their own separate entity. So what we had at our campus last week was a summit hosted our, at Chandler Gilbert campus called the AI Teaching and Learning Summit. So we had 100 different folk, faculty and administrators from across the country and even Canada come to our campus and try and learn about building their own AI programs within their institutions. Well, one of the leaders of AI for Workforce came and talked about, I think they've reached somewhere between 32 to 48 community colleges in the country. Wow. They've almost hit every single state in terms of a community college within the state. So they have that many community colleges that have at least taken the Intel training that they have available now which is available for free, to build programs within their own college. In terms of who I see that has full-fledged programs, I think there's only like four or five colleges that I'm aware of in the country that have an associate's or a certificate in AI at a community college level. We'll be right back after a quick break. Ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me. <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. I'd like to get your thoughts on any data or trends in the job market around 
the significance of learning about AI. And is that demand still there? And do you see that growing? And in which areas and which industries do you see the best potential for your students going through that program? It's a hard marker to pin on right now because it's such an emerging field. There's different routes you could see AI, this large field of AI going right now. So I'll start from the most beginner level. You have people who are like prompt engineers who use something like ChatGPT, these Mm -hmm. very industry-wide models, and are able to interface with that system such that they get autonomous outputs, automatic outputs, that increase productivity and reduce the amount of work that someone would need to do, right? That prompt engineer is a great field for someone who's entry into the AI space, right? It doesn't need nearly as much math or programming even. And there's actually a lot of drag and drop interface to perform AI modeling platforms where you can kind of input data, drag and drop what you need, and then get some meaningful output. I can't say that I target that too much right now because there's not a lot of stability there just yet. ChatGPT is still relatively new, no code tools. It's very specified. So I focus more on level two, I would say. You can hear my video game speak come out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> level, right. two. Right. <laughs> uh, level two is they have some coding. They're like a software developer but more equipped to tackle problems that could involve automation of, let's say, text and images, like have some of the data analytics background as well to analyze and process data, come up with systems that automatically process that data and give meaningful output. So they have to have a little bit of math to understand how that data uh, is being inputted and what the story is behind the data is what I typically say. And then they have to have some programming because if you stick with only no-code tools, you're very limited to what those no-code tools can offer. Yeah. With programming, it opens the doors. That's right. So that's level two. And that's where I try and keep my students. These concepts in AI can get very sticky mathematically very quickly. And I can't expect a two-year student to be at that level of foundation. So then level three is that they have a very solid mathematical foundation to where pretty much any AI algorithm I throw at them, they can at least orient themselves to quite quickly. Someone with a master's background or a bachelor's background can do this, right? You come into a new class and it's like, oh, that's just the formula I've seen before, kind of, but just in a different way. Yeah, gotcha. And then the programming expertise of, let's say, okay, we're not going to do this in Python now, we're going to do this in R. They know so many programming languages at that point that they can kind of easily switch between the two for a quick prototype. So I see that as level three. So right now I target that level two. Okay. Just previously, you talked a little bit about some of the student projects that can be quite exciting for both the teachers and the students alike. Is there just one that is top of your brain right now that is quite exciting that you're working on with your students? So the one I do is I have them create an automatic bubble sheet scanner. So they take a photo with their phone and they should be able to grade a bubble sheet just based off of a photo. 
So I teach them all about things like how to detect the bubbles on a sheet, how to know which position is where on the sheet. It doesn't automatically tell you where it is. So you have to do that and then sort them in a list. Like the top left is zero and then go on from there all the way down. Gotcha. And then to know whether or not it's filled. So that's about an eight-week process, not that one project, but what leads up to that project. So then let's jump into, I guess, the capstone projects where my students are out in the Wild West, right? I have students who do stock market prediction, brain tumor detection based off of MRI or CT scans. One of my students is a musician, so he likes to handwrite his musical notes and he wants to be able to take a picture and have it be electronically printed. I've had a student who won actually an Intel competition taking brainwave EEG data and trying to detect if there is an epileptic seizure occurring within that data. I think what I find is, is that I'm always amazed that I give them these little seedlings of knowledge and then that capstone project comes around and they just grow without me even being there. Yeah. Habib, you mentioned a lot of people need graduate level degrees to work in AI right now. What path have you seen your students go through after these courses? Have they said it's opened any doors for them? So one of the big challenges we're trying to tackle on the community college AI education side is pathways for students upon graduation, right? It's pretty bleak in terms of having a two-year degree and meeting minimum job recs. Gotcha. Um, our college actually is beginning to offer or developing a bachelor's degree in AI to alleviate that issue. But I'm seeing that they're still finding positions because of how marketable AI skills are right now. It may not be, you know, an engineer, but it could be, hey, here's an entry-level role at a company, but it's easier for them to get through the door because they have these marketable skills. And in your view, how do you see the future of AI in, in the workplace? And what's your number one reason that you tell the younger generation and students why AI tools are so important to learn? You know, when AI was first emerging, let's say ChatGPT, right, into popularity, yes. everyone was like, AI is going to replace jobs. <laughs> yeah. And actually, there's been a new keynote, I guess, that people have been saying, which is people who have AI skills will be better equipped than those without. Mm -hmm. I completely agree on that note because we work so much with technology. If we're better to interface with that technology, we're going to be that much more productive. We can tackle much more complex problems in a shorter amount of time. And so I see the future workforce being able to be, once again, more productive utilizing these tools. I mean, when you're typing an email and Gmail's like, hey, here's the rest of that sentence, Yeah. right? It's just so convenient and it helps ease the amount of hand-to-paper work we have to do. And we can now be more creative with that time and solve more nuanced, more complex problems because we have these systems better ready to assist us. So someone like me and you can do a lot more with this lifespan that we have. We can develop, create, ideate more things because we have more time to do so. The way Habib looks at AI as a tool in assisting the workflow reminds me of the invention of the spreadsheet. 
My grandfather worked at the bank for 40 years, in the same desk, the same chair, poring over bank ledgers with paper and pencil, ensuring all figures balance exactly to the cent. With the invention of computerized adding machines and then later spreadsheets on personal computers, those laborious efforts that my grandfather previously undertook had now become so quick and accurate. He retired before the advent of these technologies, but I often think how helpful those tools would have been for him. AI in the workplace empowers everyone to focus on what they do best. Learning these AI tools, like learning how to use a spreadsheet, gives employees an added edge in how they work as individuals and within their teams. I'd just like to get your thoughts about the AI tools for the non-engineers, the non-tech people. Well, I think I've been giving this rose-colored glasses look onto AI, right? Where AI is always beneficial and always used in the right way. But we know that's not the case. I think that it's important to know what algorithms and what AI can do because our number one interface with AI every day is things like the internet and social media. And so I have students who may be dealing with some kind of addictive behavior and they don't realize that AI recommendation systems that are used in social media are constantly feeding them content that may make them feel stuck in that frame of mind and that addictive cycle. And so I think it's important for the general public to know what AI faked imagery looks like, what algorithms are out there and how they use your preferences to feed you more content that you like, mm -hmm. just for our own mental well-being. So I see my class AIM100 as a place where people can come and learn about these technologies so that they're better equipped to personally manage their interface with them, right? Mentally manage it. Yeah. And are there any ethical considerations you try and emphasize when teaching your course to your students? So I try to give my students a broad overview of AI ethics because, again, you could dig into one quite a bit and there's still a ton of content left there. So I started talking about like what topics there are in AI ethics. There's privacy and surveillance. There's manipulation of behavior. There's jobs and autonomy. So those are all like separate topics that I go over. Mm -hmm. Then I take a step further and I talk about frameworks. So what frameworks are out there in terms of AI ethics? Like the European AI Act came out and they have a framework for how they want to regulate this technology. Now we're seeing policy on the America side on AI. My last little tidbit in the AI ethics realm is trying to dispel some of the fear I am personally of the belief that there's not some looming AI monster coming to eat us. Yep. And if there would be, we would see the development of it, like we've seen the development of this technology all along. ChatGPT wasn't grown in a lab and everyone was like, oh, I've never seen this before. <laughs> we had GPT-1, GPT-2, GPT-3. Yes. We saw the progress of that technology. Yeah, and I generally agree with that, that there's going to be a net positive to the AI growth that we're seeing. But I think it's incumbent upon people like you to actually teach and guide students around at least understanding some of that, as you said, the ethical frameworks around it, because they're the ones that are going to be producing these things, right? So I have 
three kids. Two of them are now in high school. What advice would you give to parents and educators who are looking to introduce AI and STEM-related concepts to children at an early age? Man, that's a great question. I've never been asked that. I've done so many interviews that I've never been asked that. What advice would I give them? You know, I'm a family-oriented person, right? I'm 26. I'm hoping to have a family someday. So I kind of think about this a lot. One thing I find in my classroom is, is if you make it fun, the students get involved and they get interested, right? It's like if you have dessert after your salad, right? (laughs) People are just more willing to eat the salad so that they can have that dessert and feel okay about it. So getting your kids involved in things like Legos, Mindstorm, which is a subsect, like a robotic subset of Legos, even like video games that are less so dopamine addiction for them, more so building and creating things, using their intelligence and their mind. I think making the space more fun for them to access. And then on top of that, making it social, having them find a friend group where they can relate to other people about these kinds of things. I think loneliness epidemic is pretty bad in today's world. And there's ways you can alleviate that early on in their lives by getting them involved in a community of other kids who are open to doing those kinds of things. Yeah. What do you envision as the future of AI and education? And What's the number one thing that excites you most about the role of AI in shaping the learning experiences? I think the way we're interfacing with technology is changing and being spurred on by AI. That's what we've named this. And so I'm really excited for the shift that will come in how we interface with technology on the education side, right? We teach people how to use technology. So now we're going to teach them how to better their use of technology by including AI education. So I'm really excited that this new workforce that's coming will be better equipped, again, to tackle more complex problems. And who knows, maybe some of the problems that we've been trying to tackle for so long will seem simplistic in the next 20 to 30 years. And I'm really excited for this emergence of that. And I hope that we use it in the right way to better society. Awesome. Thanks very much, Habib. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. It's been fun. Thanks to Habib Matar for joining me on this episode of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. Chatting with Habib was really an eye-opener. Being a dad of three, I'm always on the hunt for ways to help my kids flourish in their future careers. What grabs me about the course that Intel and Habib created is that it's not just your run-of-the-mill four-year degree. It's like they threw open the doors for people from all walks of life, no matter where they are in their career, to jump in and really get their hands dirty in the emerging fields of AI and STEM. The way Habib gets his students fired up is pretty cool. He dives into real-world applications right from the get-go, sparking that curiosity bug in his students. This style gets them hooked early on, And then they dig deeper into the nitty-gritty theory behind those AI projects. It's a far cry from my old engineering days, where it was all about slogging through thick theory books before getting onto the hands-on, fun projects. And now with the solid backing from Intel and Habib's relentless effort, this program is rolling out to more campuses across the US. And who knows, soon it might be a movement that spans the world. That's something to be excited about, not just for my kids, 
or for anyone ready to ride the AI and STEM wave. Thank you all for listening. Join us again in two weeks on December 26th for the season finale of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. It has been a real journey learning about all these new technologies and our final episode will explore the challenges it takes to make them all possible. You definitely do not want to miss it. Technically Speaking was produced by Ruby Studios from iHeartRadio in partnership with Intel and hosted by me, Graham Class. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is James Foster. And our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton. This episode was edited by Ciara Spreen and written and produced by Tyree Rush. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.